mine? No, there it is. There it goes. I got it. There I got it. it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Hello and welcome to the new and maybe improved recording studio that we work in now. I don't really know what's going on, but this is the Midnight Noel podcast, and my name is Andy. And my name is James, and I am like a fat kid in a candy shop right now with all this fun new stuff that is before us. Yeah, so we've we've started today for the first time. Literally, we've never even gotten into it before, but we've moved away from Zoom as a device of recording because it sucks. So we hope to have upgraded to a different free way to do this. So we'll see how it works. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you as the audience are like, hey, we appreciate all the work that they are doing to make things better for our enjoyment. And that's what this is. What kind of a pill was that? Was that a molly? It's a it's a mint. Sure. Okay. So he keeps his mollies in a little mint container. <laughs> he just had it on the end of his tongue. It was like, hey, here it is. This one's gonna get weird, y'all. Right. You're just going right into the weirdness. You're the one taking drugs while we're recording. I, it is literally mints. It. You have mentioned these mints to me before. I think it was a couple episodes ago that you were recording and I just kept snacking on these mints because they're awesome. They're cool <laughs> mints. Uh, that's the name. That's the brand. They're from uh, the brand Excite Mint. They're sugar-free. They are the refreshing peppermint flavor. They come in a blue tin can. Um, are we hoping I, for a sponsor here? I mean, if people want to send them to me, that'd be awesome. So anyways, here we are. Yes, and before here. we get going, what do you know about slavery? It's bad. Um, so you're saying you're for it? <laughs> no, opposed to it in all forms. Okay, you, okay, be more specific. And I hate that I have to say that. We're what talking about what are type your of slavery? personal views on the enslavement of <laughs> other humans. Okay, it's bad. It's not good. It's not something like I don't know how how intense I need to be pushing the, this, but yeah, it's not something that should should ever happen. It is a it's morally reprehensible and it's a shame that it has happened in the history of basically every modern civilization. It is a current and ongoing thing. There's more slaves in the world today than there were 150 years ago it's all bad i'm glad we got that out of the way you're talking more specifically like the history of it though like what what do i are are you talking more of the american slave like i was just trying to see where you're at as a person with individual beliefs before Mm -hmm. we jump into our story yeah no i'm not i didn't know if you were gonna be like really insulted and be like on some of this story or not so we'll i just i just want to know ahead of time insulted but like i mean no, like I like I'm pretty pro good guy winning and bad guy losing. Well, uh, I didn't know if you were thinking slave masters equals good guy or not. So no. that's that's what I'm coming from. Just no. checking like to when make I, sure. When like I this, hearing this is a relief to me. I want you like this is what I was hoping you were going to say. Okay, but I didn't know we never talked about it. Listen, just because I live in a town with multiple Confederate monuments does not That's mean I that I that I personally endorse 
the the erection of said monuments that is the proper terminology when a monument is built it is so don't make any my sources today are pbs.com smithsonian.com battlefields.org and eat stay play beaufort.com beaufort like beaufort oh gosh there's a beaufort north carolina there there's is. a beaufort south carolina there is there's a beaufort georgia there is i've been to all three you have and... like a card you're collecting stamps on or something well, no but all three could easily have something to do with the, the civil war and all three are in are in, are in slave states so well this will be fun for you then great robert smalls was born on april 5th 1839 on the ashdale plantation on Ladies Island, just outside of Beaufort, South Carolina. All right. Beaufort, South Carolina. I'm going to call him Bobby Smalls. Nope, we're calling him Robert. No Bobby here. You need to treat him with respect. He was born as a slave. Oh, okay. So he's a slave. He is a slave. He is. Okay, no, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll call him Robert then. Yeah, yeah, yeah see. You don't. Okay. We're not going to be demeaning <laughs> in the slightest here. His mother... Lydia Polite was 43 years old and served inside their master's house. Okay, house slave. So, yeah, a good position overall speaking, as from a slave's perspective, treated better inside the house than you are out in the fields. Yeah. But she did grow up in the fields and it was working in the fields as the age of nine she was taken away from her own family on some islands off the south carolina coast and uh taken over to her current owner and has served there for many 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 years decades so we don't know who who robert small's dad was some say it was his owner henry mckee others say it was henry's dad john and still others are like maybe the plantation manager patrick smalls okay but all all three of those men are white they're all white all right cool while robert smalls has the same name as patrick smalls robert smalls is called smalls because he was small oh okay one of the things that we do know for certain is that his dad was white because it was one of those three guys and robert had and i quote distinct mulatto features hate that word but it's okay. a terrible word and what we also know by that is that he's also a product of rape because yeah. at no point was that consensual nope starting out great just saying like aren't you having out... a great time so far <laughs> so you don't know the name robert smalls no i mean good yeah it's not ringing any bells i was somewhat scared that this was one that you might recognize not that I'm scared by that, but I, I always like the surprise. Sure. So the McKee family, the the masters, they favored Robert over the other slave children, probably because he was more white than the other slave children, mm -hmm. would be my guess. But a lot of, but even historically, no matter if they were of mixed race or not, house slave kids grew up with the master's kids typically they grew up almost as friends in many ways even though it's like yeah we're friends when we're playing and then the kid then after that's over they're like oh yeah i'm back to owning you as a person again so that's mm. fun for me but not so much for you yeah but he would run around town with the mckee kids and they spent a lot of time around water swimming 
sometimes even boating. And whenever a steamship would come in, the, the big whistle let off by that steamship, they would all go running down to the har- harbor to see it. And just like, yay, steamship. Woo. I guess you got to do something at that point in time. Yeah. Something not something TV. to pass the time. Yeah. So growing up, it seems from everything we hear that Robert certainly was not mistreated like we would expect from from this time period and everything else going on. Like it seems he actually had a pretty good life as a child, all things considered. Okay. His mother was worried that he would grow up without understanding kind of the large scale horrors of the institution of slavery that he was born into. Mm -hmm. So she was like, hey, you're 10 now. We should take some field trips to the field like trips like trip yeah trips to the field yeah yeah trips to the fields mm-hmm. um he actually spent some time working in the field and she took him specifically to the whipping post to watch slaves how they were treated there she also took him to a slave auction so fun times with mom huh i mean i knew all those things existed obviously i never thought of uh, the auction specifically i never thought of it being like a thing that you just like yeah, we're going down to the auction house today just to watch. You know, we're not, you know, I thought if you were there, you're either buying or selling uh, or you're being sold. <laughs> I didn't think it was just like, yeah, let's just go. Well, there's nothing. It's a big production. Nothing else to yeah. do. I'm sure there were lots of people always kind of hanging out watching. Yeah, I guess they didn't have like storage wars that they could watch like an auction guy. Like, <laughs> no. At the tender age of 10, he's experiencing all of this for really the first time in his life. Yeah. Seeing the way that that there is a real difference in the way that people see people of his skin color and the way that they treat people of his skin color. And it certainly changed his overall outlook on his situation. Yeah, I'd say. I mean, that's 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 a lot for anybody. But for a 10 year old, I'm sure you, you grow up fast, you know, you got like, to innocence gone. Bubble popped. You're not putting well, the shocking thing to me is he had that innocence for 10 years. Yeah, which you I'm know, sure here, here he is. He's a he's a black boy yeah. living in antebellum South pre-Civil War. Pre-Civil War. Honestly, I, I bet it, it was a gift, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like he's the hero of our story. So I'm, I'm sure having that just even brief hiatus from reality growing up, I'm sure is, is, is helpful and beneficial moving on. So within a few years, he started to speak out against slavery and doing so in a public way. Good for him. Of course, this made sure that he was taken to jail often, but his master, Henry McKee, would bail him out every single time, which is an interesting, interesting thing I, I, I was surprised by when I read. Yeah. Huh. But truly, if anything, if we're looking at it all, like you you kind of had to say that his mom's plan had worked a little too well because she wa- like she's just like, hey, I want him to know that we're, you know, he when he at some point he's going to probably be sold or go away and he needs to know what he might be in for. But instead, it, it started to I think what the white people at the time would say radicalize him. She started fearing for his safety because he was becoming beginning to be well known so she asked McKee, like, hey, would you please allow my boy to go over Charleston to not be here? You know, and Charleston's not far away at all, but it is a bigger city. 
So McKee was like, sure, that's fine. Go on, go on to the big city. And uh, basically he rented him out to be worked. So he's like 14. Hmm. And going off to the city to work for his master. Because he found a number of different jobs there in, in Charleston. But most of his time he spent as a busboy in a hotel. And through that job, he made $5 a week. He made or... He the... was given $5 a week as wages for his work. Okay. So it wasn't just... Oh, well, he did give all five of those dollars to his master. Okay. So yeah, no, that that's that's more of what I was thinking. So Robert took on another job as a street lamplighter. Did he keep any of that money or is that all that? He, going? well, because he was rented out basically to the hotel, all mm -hmm. the hotel wages went to his master. His mm -hmm. master didn't really know about the lamplighter job. Mm, it's a little side, like under the table sort of like, business. Shh. Got it. Yeah. So he got $1 a week for doing that. And he kept that one. Nice. He kept his dollar. Good for him. But he ended up having a lot of other kind of random jobs around town that he kind of jump back and forth on. But he ended up spending a lot of time around the harbor and on the ships, moving in and out of all the rivers and and the bay over in Charleston. And he started, of course, working, you know, like a deckman and in, in the basically lowest position as you can on a ship. But he worked himself all the way up to being a wheelman, which is a pretty cool big deal. Do so you know mm -hmm. what a wheelman is? Um, well, ships don't have the only wheels I can think of on a ship are like the, the little steering thing. Yeah, what yeah. we might consider the steering wheel. Yeah, and then like the wheel that, like you see, like like nine guys get on e like on on part and like they spin around and it twists like rope and heavy things and like to the raise anchor. the anchor is the anchor yeah that's those are the only wheels i can think of your nautical knowledge is astounding oh yeah yeah the <laughs> the 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 spinny wheel thing attached to the heavy thing and then the spinny wheel thing attached to the the boat thing that steers it <laughs> no so wheelman is a a, a racist job title Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So if he was white, his title would be the pilot. Like okay. literally he's the guy who drives the boat. But he's not the captain. The captain no, tells he's not the, the pilot. Yes. You know, yeah, okay. Got it. But they at this time it all oh, black people, they 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 can't be pilots. That's for us white people. Mm -hmm. So they're wheelmen. Wait, so wait, hold on. Is he still on so he's doing the the boat stuff. That's still like his own thing. That's not he's on loan. Some of it is, some of it like he does what eventually is... kind of get transferred from the hotel thing to a shipping company. Okay. Like after he kind of proved that he's good at it and he starts pulling in a little bit more money for his his master doing that. Got it. You know, like it and just the whole idea of of yeah. here he is doing he actually finds a job he likes but he still makes nothing from it because mm -hmm. it's all going to, to McKee. But it got to where very few people knew Charleston Harbor better than Robert Smalls did. When he was 17, he met a 31 year old hotel maid named Hannah Jones. Okay. And fell in love. Okay. Cougar. Well, get this. Great. Hannah had two daughters, one of whom was 12 and the other was 14. Oh, <laughs> 
Okay. At that point, it'd be more appropriate for him to date the 14-year-old, I feel like. but Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the heart wants what the heart wants, I guess. It's always, it always seems less inappropriate when it's a younger guy and an older girl. But when it's the other way around... Predatory. It gets, it gets pre- it's predatory and creepy. Young dudes are getting high fives and like cheered on for going after older ladies. And even older, like there's not really so much a stigma. Like, yes, there's the cougar who's like going after young, but still, it's like a, it's it is a forty something year old woman going after. She's thirty one. No, I'm. This is a different thing. Like, uh, okay, but, I was like, wait, no. Like a forty something year old woman going after a twenty something year old male is considered cougar behavior but a 40 something year old man going after a like a young 20s woman that's like hey dude back off like that's that's really creepy stay in your lane and i i just think it's a double standard i don't i don't really know what what to do about that or yeah or even if it maybe that is just a it's it's it seemed less predatory because it is i don't know i don't i really don't know okay that's fair i mean i think it's creepy no matter what yeah you know, like whether it's who is what age, I just, it, whenever you have an age gap like that, I just, it makes me feel uncomfortable in my soul. Half and your that's age not plus a place eight. I like to be. That's the rule. That's what I've always heard. Half your age plus eight. It does get really bad because then it's if a there's 60 a 15 year old, difference, no, just no. <laughs> like a 60 year old could date a 38 year old. Nope, definitely couldn't. And that's, but that's half your age plus eight. And so like there is a, There's a time when that rule no longer applies, but... Yeah, I don't like it. So to make you feel better about everything, because they were slaves, they had to ask their owners for permission to join Uh, into a contract to marry. Okay. Was that... Were they denied? Uh, No, the owners were like, yeah, that's fine. Oh, okay. Her name was Hannah. Yeah, yeah, Hannah. Take this child and uh, you can... uh, Raise a third kid. Oh, Man. But the owners really didn't care because as long as they kept the money coming in, they didn't care what they did. Hmm. But it was surprising because they were even allowed to live together in like the same apartment. It wasn't actually an apartment. It was like slave quarters provided by one of their employers. But it was all allowed, which is strange and not normal when you have two slaves from different owners. Sure. Robert and Hannah did have a child, Elizabeth. Oh. Which typically is is like a nice part of the story. You're like, oh, yay. But in this day and age, like, she could be sold. She could not live to the right age to even be sold. She could die of any number of things. Infant mortality rate was insanely high still back then. So I'm assuming that's that's where you're going. Yeah, Robert was scared that Hannah's owner might sell off Elizabeth and maybe even Hannah mm-hmm. and break up the family just because he felt like he needed some extra cash. So Robert talked to Hannah's owner, who's by the last name of Kingman, and he agreed to sell Robert, his own wife and kid for $800. Oh, wow. So Robert nice. picks up some more extra jobs, starts saving. 1860. All right. Time jump. 1860. Do you know what happened in 1860? Well, Civil War, uh, like, was in the 1860s. So, yeah, that's starting off. 
1860, Abraham Lincoln is elected as president of the United States. South and don't like that. No. No. Especially South Carolina. Not a fan. They freaking burned effigies of Abraham Lincoln. Like, we thought the political climate was bad today. And I mean, I'm sure there's people burning effigies of Yeah, I've seen people burning leaders. effigies. But, like, this was... Whew, they were... Well, really yeah, they were mad because South Carolina and the South were like, hey, we want to own people. And Lincoln's all like, well, hey, maybe that's not own people because mm-hmm. that's not groovy, y'all. So, of course, South Carolina does the South Carolina thing and secedes from the Union. They weren't the first state to, were they? Mm-hmm. Oh, they were. Okay. They're number one. They're number one. Wait, is Bunker and they Hill list... in South Carolina? Say what? Isn't the... Is Bunker Hill in South Carolina? Isn't that the Bunker first Bunker Hill is from the Revolutionary That's... War. Okay, got it. Yeah, okay. I got, my... I got my words mixed up. It's all right, but we're keeping it in there because I want people to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, South Carolina secedes, and in their Articles of Succession... secession they list slavery as one of the main reasons for doing so because I don't You're care sure what they it's said. You're sure it's not states' rights? You're sure it's not states' rights, man? I mean, That's I am. What I it's heard states' rights up. to own people. <laughs> We've talked about this before, I think, on the podcast. I forget exactly what it, what episode. I don't even know. It might have been like cut out or, because it was a little off topic. But yeah, like we talked about this. Like My education was very much a... Like, yes, slavery was part of it, but really it was about states' rights, which is not really. Yeah, that's that's no. a very, very whitewashed version of of how things played out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just you read any of it and they're all mentioning slavery as part of their reasons. Yeah. It's not super far down the list either. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But Robert was hired to pilot. Well, wheelman a steamer named the planter okay he quickly becomes trusted on board the ship and there's a few other slaves on board who serve with him however of course there's three white dudes who are actually in charge of the ship but there's like seven seven black dudes who are being forced to do the majority of the work on it the civil war broke out on april 12th 1861 Mm -hmm. and it started right there in charleston when they fired on Fort Sumter. Sumter. Okay. There you go. That's what I was... Okay, yeah. I mean, there is a hill that the fort mm-hmm. sits on. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it had bunkers. Yeah. So you were right there. And all of the rich white people in town came out to watch the bombardment, <laughs> which was called a splendid pyrotechnic exhibition. Oh, wow. Ugh. It's like the 4th of July. <laughs> Except, except the April. exact opposite. And uh, and there's a whole lot more death. Gosh, there was so much death. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Okay. So the Confederates chartered the planter and used it to haul supplies, including ammunition and guns. Hmm. So what that means is Robert and the other slaves on the ship are working to keep themselves slaves. Yeah, I don't think that's going to last long. I don't see that... The... I don't see that working out. Yeah, the the job satisfaction has to be real low. Oh yeah, like worse than yours. Oh, way uh, worse yeah, than mine. You can, and you can you can cut that out. Like if you if you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was zero fulfillment of that job. You're like, you know, 
at the end of the day, I'm glad I can go home and feel good about what I did. You know, I get to go home and kiss my wife and my kid and just feel good. Good, honest day's work, you know. Yeah, I feel like you get home and just you're trying to not to puke. Mm -hmm. But one day when the captain wasn't on board, a fellow slave crewman put the captain's straw hat on Robert's head. Uh Uh-oh. And declared that Robert looked just like the captain. Hmm. And this idea stuck in Robert's mind. Foreshadowing. Okay. Foreshadowing. Got it. So a Union Navy blockade was put into place, all not just in Charleston, but all around the South. And of course, this hurt the economy all around and especially in Charleston. So they tried to use torpedoes to break through the blockade, but that didn't work. They hit torpedoes? Very rudimentary ones, but Got technically it. torpedoes. Okay. In November of 1861, Union troops took Port Royal, which is about 60 miles away from Charleston. Mm -hmm. The rich white people living in Charleston and around were like, oh, this is maybe not good for us. Mm -hmm. So they started fleeing the area in droves. But the fun part is the slaves stayed. So Robert's mom ended up living free as a free woman in Beaufort and got engaged to a cook. Oh, good for her. Nice. Robert was like, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. I like that life. It sounds nice. Yeah. By 1862, he had saved up $700 of the 800 he needed to free his family. Wow. Like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. But they had another kid, Robert Jr. And you know what that means. Price goes up. Price is going up because there's more humans involved. Dang. By how much? How much did the price go up? He didn't ask. Okay. He didn't want to know. But Robert felt very despondent felt very defeated and really was just like, I've got, I don't know what to do anymore. Cause at any day for a couple of years now, they could have been sold off. April of that same year, 1862, there was a barge manned by slaves that was sailed out to the union fleet and turned over to the union forces. Oh, good. So basically slaves were like, Hey, if we get these uh, white guys off this barge, we can just go out to where we're not slaves. <laughs> and they did so- that. So yeah, that, that, that seems like the logical, you know, proper thing to do. So yeah, I'd do that. Yeah, and it was obviously a, a pretty big embarrassment to the Confederacy, but they were like, okay, this, that was weird. There were some slaves who were able to think for themselves. That won't happen again. So they took zero actions and zero precautions to keep it from happening. Of course, that story gets told around a lot. And Robert Smalls kept up appearances and, of course, like, yeah, uh, I can't believe those guys who would who would do that. Like, they're the dumb ones. I would never. Our life here is really great. Man, being owned is... Master. Awesome. It's like, I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Master will take care of me. Yep. Like, I don't know what I do without the crippling anxiety of and fear that my family could be sold away from me at any point. You know, I don't know what I'd do without that in my life. Freedom just seems like a burden. Honestly, I think, you know, then I'd have to decide what to do every day. Yeah. Yeah. The worst. One of the slaves working with him on the planter jokingly said that they should steal the planter. And Robert's like, shh, shh, shh. 
please don't say that. But it's a great idea. <laughs> so he secretly went around asking all the other guys on board what they were like. Hey, are you like, down with yeah, this? Like, like feeling like, that? Like, hey man, are you cool? Or like you you like messed up and you think this is you a narc? Yeah. Hey, if you're a cop, you have to tell me. <laughs> but who and, answers the narc question honestly, though? Like that's no one. So he went and talked to all the black guys on board, except for one of them, because one of them they knew was a snitch. Oh, okay. So he's like, hey, you guys, not him, you guys start coming to my house and we're going to plan this thing out. So they started doing secret meetings at Robert's house. And of course, Hannah's like, hey, um, honey, why are all these guys literally sneaking to our house in the middle of the night? We have kids. What's going on? And Robert didn't really want to tell Hannah, but he told her. And he's like, you know, I'm going to be real with you, dear. If we get caught, we're all going to die. And Hannah looks at him straight in the eye and says, and I quote, it's a risk, dear, but you and I and our little ones must be freed. Where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I will die. Man, that's awesome. He got himself a good woman. He did. Right after that, the planter went on a two-week trip and came back with 200 rounds of ammunition, a 32-pound pivot gun, a 24-pound howitzer, and four other large guns. They're loaded, and they're planning to go out the next morning to go drop the guns off to Confederate troops that were stationed close by on the coast. Okay, I bet those guns don't don't make it to the Confederate troops. I bet the bullets do. Robert felt like this was his opportunity. Oh, yeah. They'd been away for two weeks. Here they are back for one night. But it's important to kind of point out that escape is hard enough for just a single dude. To flee with a young family, nearly oh, impossible. Two, three, four, five. Family of six overall. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, family and, and kids and mm -hmm. a baby. I mean, a baby's cry carries real far over water. Oh, yeah. But Robert went ahead and quietly alerted the other enslaved crew members. I was like, hey, it's time to seize the planter. So Robert's plan was to, we're going to commandeer the ship and we're going to take it out and deliver it to the very imposing fleet of Union ships that are anchored outside the harbor. So let's talk a little bit about Charleston's port. It was one of the largest ports in the South and it was a genuine lifeline for the entire war movement. Oh, yeah. As you know, the South was um, a largely agrarian society, and they depended on a lot of imports for all of their war materials, for even some of their foods, medicines, manufactured goods, and lots of other supplies. Like, we know that that really was the downfall for the South in the war. Like, if they had had all the manufacturing, who knows what would have happened. Yeah. If you look at their maps, too, like, you look at all the railways up north versus down south, that mm -hmm. was a huge thing. The few that were once they were destroyed, they should have done more. I say should have. <laughs> um, I knew uh, it. Uh, there's there's more they could have done had they wanted to win. Foresight yeah. could have changed things. Yeah. Charleston Harbor, vastly important port for everything the South was doing because they would come into port and just get distributed everywhere else that they need those supplies. Mm hmm. But Charleston was an especially difficult port to completely shut off 
because it's not right there on the ocean. It's actually nope. inland a little bit with a whole bunch of channels and, and rivers kind of spreading out from that harbor to get out into the Atlantic Ocean. So to blockade that was very difficult. And so a lot of the Northern, especially like the Union Navy, referred to Charleston as a, quote, rat hole that the rats can just scurry out of a thousand different ways. Lovely. But the wharf that the the planter was in was 10 miles away from the U.S. fleet. So Robert, to escape, would have to pass by several heavily armed Confederate fortifications in the harbor, as well as a whole bunch of gun batteries all along the shore, as well as Fort Sumter, all without raising an alarm. That's a lot. Should be fine. Except it, the planter created a whole bunch of smoke and noise, so Robert knew that just steaming past the fort, sneaking, would not work. Shh, shh. All right. We'll use the quiet coal. <laughs> yeah those uh paddle wheels are known for silence mm -hmm. the ship had to appear like it was on a routine mission under the command of the three white officers who were always on board when the ship was moving all right so they got they dressed up in whiteface yeah they started talking about like ipas and um <laughs> And uh, John Mayer. But of course, the three white officers proved a pretty big problem to the plan. Sure. So a number of issues that they have to deal with before they can actually depart. Number one, those three white officers are a big problem. And Robert and the guys are going to have to find a way to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Secondly... They would have to avoid detection by the guards at the wharf as they took over the planter. Then, since Robert's family and others involved in the escape are going to be hiding in a different steamer that was farther upriver, Robert and the crew would have to backtrack up the river, pick them up, and then move back through the harbor again out a different river to actually get to the ocean. Okay, pretty complicated plan. If everyone made it on board, it would be a group of 16 men and women and children. They'd have to make it back through the harbor undetected, through all the gun batteries undetected, past all the fortifications undefended or undetected, including Fort Sumter. Wow. And truly, all it would take is one sentry at any of these spots to raise the alarm and all of them have big guns meant to destroy ships, and the planter's not a fast one. Mm -mm. Then if they actually get out of the harbor, get past all the guns, they have another big problem. They've got to go approach a Union ship. Yeah, in Southern colors. Like, I'm assuming, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'll take the, let's take the Confederate flag down uh, since we're away, but yeah. Still, yeah, that's a big, that's a scary thing. Because it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like they were letting these ships get close. No. Uh, and like, they're having a conversation before they're like, all right, well, we're going to fire at you now. Like, it was just a, oh, that's a bad guy ship. Bang, bang. Well, the sound of a steamer ship could be the fact that maybe it's the Confederate ironclad coming to ram their ships. And that's, yeah, that's another big thing. That's honestly a really cool, like... 
I'm really fascinated by ironclad ships. I think it's a really, really neat uh, invention of that century. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool. It sucks that they were on the wrong side, but still, like, I'm like, this is really, really sweet. Plus, they have that awesome name, Ironside. Yeah. As the new captain of the planter, Captain Aurelia did kind of break orders some from time to time and would leave the ship in the crew's hands overnight. So he and his officers could go be like, hey, so we have our wives and kids and we want to go see them. So you guys, you guys got this, right? Mm. Right? Like you guys got this? Cool. Don't, you're not going to like escape or anything. Like if we leave, like you're, you're, you're chill. Of course, Robert's like, oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. Like, yeah, we sure. We talk about this, like escape, ill. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. But the prevailing thought is that Captain Aurelia, not that he trusted that they wouldn't run, but a lot of whites in the South and There's... even in the North, they didn't think that they had the mental capacity to pull off something like this, like that it mm. wasn't even possible for them to do it. Wow. So like, who cares? We'll leave them. We'll leave them alone with a ship full of guns and ammo. It will be fine. That's hubris. They had just been gone for two weeks. Captain's like, hey, I know the military just put out a command of saying that we white guys have to stay on the ship if other people like... But it's been two weeks. Yeah. Two long weeks. No, we've done it before. Time is right. So obstacle number one, Robert's favor. Check. So he waited for the time to be just right and took off in the steamer upriver. Nice. It was foggy. Beneficial. And the crew raised two flags. One was the first ever official Confederate flag known as the Stars and Bars. Stars and Bars. The other one was South Carolina's blue and white state flag, which is the, do you know what's on it? It's on all their license plates. Palm tree. Palmetto tree and a crescent. There you go. And so, of course, having both of those up, all the guards were like, oh, yeah, they're they're cool. Like, super cool. However, there was a Confederate guard stationed about 50 yards away from the planter, and he saw the ship leaving and moved closer to watch her because this is not the time. A little sus, yeah. A little bit. However, he did assume that the vessel's officers were in command and never raised an alarm because he saw Captain Raylia wearing his very famous straw hat. A police detective also saw that the ship was leaving and made the exact same assumption. Man, he's got a lovely tan. and <laughs> I can even see it at night. It's all, it's, it's all those hours, you know, just being out in the water those last couple of weeks. Like, Yeah, he doesn't burn. There's like no red there. It's just <laughs> went straight dark. Man, I, I wish him. I tanned like that. Yeah, I gotta ask him what his base like. Like, I bet he 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 just builds up a strong base like in, in the early summer months. <laughs> <laughs> so they made it away from the harbor for the first time, and their next stop was they had to go to what was called the North Atlantic Wharf to pick up Robert's family and the others who would also be escaping with them. Mm-hmm. The crew very soon got there and had absolutely no trouble at all approaching the pier. Awesome. Robert says, and I quote, the boat moved so slowly up to her place, we did not have to throw a plank or even tie a rope. Nice. He's good at his job. 
Yeah. That's like good. he's bragging without bragging there. And I love that. Yeah. He's just stating what happened. So they've now got 16 people on board. They got the women and kids below deck and the planter resumed her way south toward Confederate Fort Johnson, trying to leave Charleston and their lives as slaves behind them. At about 4.15 a.m., the planter closed in on Fort Sumter. Fort Sumter had massive walls that towered ominously about 50 feet above the water, and those on board the planter were terrified. The only one not outwardly affected by fear was Robert. One of the black crew members stated, and I quote, When we drew near the fort, every man but Robert Smalls felt his knees given way, and the women began crying and praying again. However, as the planter approached the fort, Robert, wearing the captain's straw hat, pulled on the whistle cord, offering two long blows and a short one. That was the current signal required to pass, which Smalls knew since they had just come in earlier in the day. There was a sentry on Fort Sumter's wall that yelled out, and I quote, blow the damned Yankees to hell or bring one of them in. <laughs> Wonderful. Robert simply replied, Aye, aye. Will do. <laughs> so with steam and smoke belching from her stacks and her paddle wheels churning through the dark water at full speed, the steamer headed straight toward the closest of the Union ships. Of course, at this point, they were like, oh, oh, yeah, we probably should take down those flags. Take down the stars and bars and all that. Yeah, take it all down. Just take it all down. And thankfully, Hannah had thought enough ahead to bring a white bedsheet that they strung up as a sign of surrender. There you go. However, another heavy fog had rolled in. Oh, no. Which obscured the steamer and its flag from the morning light. They were plowing their way on towards a Union ship, which was a 174-foot, three-masted clipper ship named the Onward. And unfortunately, due to the fog, it was now even more unlikely to see the flag in time. And from the steam of their engines, we'll probably think it's the CSS Virginia coming to SRAM and sink them. It's not good. Much like the sun rises in the two towers when Gandalf comes over the hill with the army of horsemen... The sun broke through the fog just in time as they were about to call this, the gigantic ship onward to arms and realized, oh, that's a big old white flag they're flying there. The two vessels at this point were within hailing distance of each other, and the onwards captain, a guy by the name of John Frederick Nichols, yelled for the steamer's name and for her intent. So Robert's like, hey, um, this is the planter. And uh, we would like to not be here anymore. We would like to come to where you are forever. Nice. And be free. So the captain was like, hey, so you guys come on right beside us and we'll be good. Probably because of the relief that they weren't shot at. Robert and his crew were quite shaken and did not hear the captain's command and started to go around the stern of the onward. But Captain Nichols immediately yelled, Stop or I'll blow you out of the water. Okay. Because truly when they weren't following directions, he really assumed they were coming around just to start blowing huge holes in his ship. Mm -hmm. But thankfully they did hear the second time. And we're like, oh, oh, okay. So they maneuver their ship alongside the warship. And as they reached the deck of the onward, the now freed slave men began, became jumping, dancing, and shouting 
um, in celebration while others turned toward Fort Sumter and cursed it. Good for them. Unfortunately, those curses were not recorded. Bummer. Robert up on deck saluted and spoke triumphantly to the onwards captain and said that, quote, good morning, sir. I brought you some of the old United States guns, sir. They were meant for Fort Sumter, sir. Nice. So he comes bringing gifts, which I already we, we already knew. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I you, guess so. you, you picked up on that a long time ago. So Robert may not have had the $700 that or $800 he needed to buy his family's freedom before the war. But because of his bravery, the U.S. Congress on May 30th of 1862 passed a bill that authorized the Navy to send an appraiser out to the planter and award Smalls and his crew half the proceeds for, quote, rescuing her from the enemies of the government. Awesome. So Robert received $1,500 personally, which he used after the war was over to buy his former owner's house in Beaufort. Awesome. That is that is amazing. <laughs> it's the ultimate screw you move. Yep. That's, and that's I love great. It. However, according to later Naval Affairs Committee reports, he should have been paid way more than he was. So even the union wasn't treating the black people. Oh, correctly. there. Yeah, there was still a ton of racism. It just it was just less than let we should own you racism. <laughs> But still, mm -hmm. racism, yeah. Well, after his escape, the Confederacy put out a $4,000 bounty on his head, dead or alive. Mm. But even still, those who were actually in Charleston at the time had a really hard time explaining how the slaves were able to pull off such a feat. Like, they made up all kinds of stories, and the most often repeated one was that a group of white people had also joined and gotten on the ship where uh, someone said, like, oh, yeah, I totally saw like a, a white guy and two white ladies get on that ship. So that's why I thought things were fine. But clearly they needed the white people to plan and orchestrate the whole thing. Oh, yeah. But there was a, a contemporary steamer pilot, not in Charleston, but he went by the name of Mark Twain. And uh, he wrote that facts are stubborn things. And uh, facts are that, yeah, Robert Smalls, and his band of, I almost said Confederates, but that doesn't work in this scenario. No. But his band of slaves did it all by themselves. In the North, Robert Smalls was considered a hero. And he personally lobbied the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, to begin enlisting black soldiers, which they had Sweet. not done before this time. President Lincoln acted a few months later, and Robert, by himself, recruited 5,000 soldiers. Wow. In October of 1862, he returned to the planter as a pilot for the first time. Good for him. And as he was part of Admiral DuPont's South Atlantic Blockading Squadron. And according to the 1883 Naval Affairs Committee report, Robert Smalls was engaged in approximately 17 military actions, including an assault on Fort Sumter. He assumed the command of the planter because while the planter was under, quote, very hot fire, its white captain became so demoralized that he hid himself in the coal bunker. Oh. <laughs> wow. So for his bravery, Robert was promoted to the rank of captain himself. And from December of 1863 on through the war, he earned $150 a month 
making him one of the highest paid black soldiers in the war. Kind of poetically, when the war ended in April of 1865, Robert was on board the planter in a ceremony in Charleston Harbor. Following the war, Robert Smalls continued to push the boundaries of freedom as a first-generation black politician. He served in the South Carolina State Assembly and Senate, and he also had five non-consecutive terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. Awesome. But unfortunately, he still had to watch his state end up rolling back the Reconstruction era and the state in a revised 1895 constitution stripped black people of their voting rights. He ended up dying in Beaufort on February 22nd of 1915 in the same house behind which he had been born a slave. In the face of the rise of Jim Crow laws that he saw at the end of his life, Robert Smalls stood as firm as an unyielding advocate for the political rights of African Americans. And he said, and I quote, my race needs no special defense for the past history of them and this country. It proves them to be equal of any people anywhere. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. Yeah. And that's the story of Robert Smalls, the guy who took over a ship and won his freedom for him, his family and himself. Dude, that's just awesome. Like that's Isn't that great. That's great. Nice. I love this guy. At least this was a happy. This had a happy ending. There's plenty of of stories that don't have those happy endings. So, yeah, I wanted a story that had a happy ending, even though I knew we weren't going to get a lot of joking in because the story doesn't lend itself to that. However, no, it's great. It's good. It's happy stuff. We need that right now. We need a lot of that in this world. Yeah, that's great, dude. But no, I'd never heard of them. That makes me happy. Well, listener, we thank you for doing your part. And listening. Mm-hmm. It's literally the only thing you're good for for this. Yeah, that's kind of how this interaction works, really. I guess you could talk back, but we wouldn't know. So, Well, they, we, they could, and they we could. would know if they did, if they emailed okay. us at midnightnarwhalpod at gmail.com. Or wildfiregang at gmail.com. Or discountstruckweek at gmail.com. Yeah. Definitely two, one, if, maybe two. If you don't count. Two all the like the spam emails we get from like <laughs> from gmail like hey are you still here <laughs> yes hey so i'm gmail and i've noticed you have no friends like google's making fun of us help us yeah. change that yep help us change that do you have stories that you want to hear us talk about because we'll talk about it let us know and probably make fun of it more than we did this one yeah that's typically how we ha- how we handle things my ears were blessed. I hope yours were. So thank you, Andy, for sharing this wonderful story. You're welcome. Hopefully, Robert will be an inspiration to us all. Oh, yeah. And I mean. Okay, bye. Don't own slaves. Bye. Fairly certain no one in our listening audience is doing that. Well, now they're not. We'll never know the impact that one phrase had. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm leaving now. I steal them from my work, and this was the last box, so... So you um, steal them from a church? I mean, they're in the snack closet, and but I'm the only one that takes them, and I take way more than probably anybody else would. Than, than is healthy? 
with how quickly I go through them. They're sugar free though. So, okay. Yeah. That just means they use other things to substitute as sugar and it's sometimes worse. Servings, serving size 50. Oh no, that's the number of <laughs> servings in here. It's like 50 mints is a serving. Wow. Let's see. There is two calories per mint. Let's I'm cutting see. every bit of this out. I don't know. What's sorbitol? Natural flavor, calcium, stearate, sucralose. Oh, they're made in Canada. <laughs> that felt okay. Very, the use of that was very demeaning. Was supposed to be. You were trying to read off mint ingredients during the recording of our podcast, and I realized maybe we have the world's worst podcast. <laughs> Did I tell you there was like a whole like Sons of the Confederacy like march like last month? Nope, uh, in, you did not. My, yeah, I was driving home from work, and I mean, literally in the in my downtown area the the statue was was erected in eight in 1910 and so well after the civil war mm -hmm. um there was like a bunch of people like in garb like it looked like they were going to a reenactment but they were literally just standing there holding flags like it's like racist like, comic-con very much so you're not out there dressing up with them is what you're saying no no so you don't know how to go have a good time Okay, we get it. So my I know how to be on the today, winning side. 